guys, and welcome to Career Case Study, a podcast presented by the Carroll School of Management at Boston College. Today's episode features David Laverme, a BC MBA alum and current senior director of product and experience at Jebit. I get that correct? Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Um, so prior to business school, David worked at Education First, also known as EF, an educational travel tours company based here in Boston. Um, so he graduated with a degree in history and then went into sales at an educational travel tours company. Talk to us a little bit about how that happened. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, it was fall of 2008, and I was studying history, which uh, I think by fall of 2008, a lot of people kind of knew the economy was about to tank, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I did not. I thought I was just a senior at a really good school with a really good GPA, and I was going to have my sort of ticket printed. Uh, And then the whole economy fell apart, uh, and I went to career counseling, Uh, and said, hey, what do people do with a history degree if they don't want to go and get a PhD? At least not yet. And they said, well, you just go to law school. I said, well, what if you don't want to go to law school? Uh, And I got a lot of blank looks. Uh, And so I did what basically anybody in my position would do, which is go to Europe for six weeks and, uh, you know, ostensibly to figure it out, uh, but mostly to just not think about it for a long time. Um, And then I got back. And a friend of mine forwarded on an email from a recruiter that um, went to his church, kind of hit that church distribution link. That went forwarded on to me, uh, and it was really my only prospect at the time. Uh, And so I got in touch, and they brought me in, interviewed for that, and uh, kind of worked out in my favor. Um, What I found out after the fact was that this was the first time the company had ever used a recruiter. Mm. So they were really curious to see what the level of talent that recruiter was going to be able to bring in. So I wound up interviewing with like C-level executives and a whole bunch of people that at the time I didn't realize was totally unusual. Um, But I got the job and, uh, and that really helped me out because... Then I had these contacts with some people really high up in the organization who continued to be invested in my success because uh, you know they had sort of been involved with it from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And how big was EF at the time? Uh, so EF is a it's one of the largest private companies in the world. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty large even at the time, but we had about 500 people in Boston oh, and wow. one building. Um, since, if you ever look over at North Point Park in Cambridge, they're up to two buildings now, uh, <laughs> building a third one, and, and I think they're well over a 1,000 uh, here in Boston. So they, they've grown pretty considerably in that time. Uh, but at the time, it was about 500 people in Boston and several more around the world. Yeah. And then at EF, what were you doing once you finally got in there and kind of got going? Yeah, so my first role was phone sales, uh, and I was hired to basically work with schools and teachers in Kentucky and West Virginia and try to convince them to take their French class to France or you know the history class to Rome uh, and do school trips abroad. Um, so for me, I had a little bit of background in as a student on those trips growing up and it had been life-changing for me. Mm. So uh, I never thought I would wind up in phone sales. Certainly wasn't anything I studied, uh, but I really believed in the product. And so it was easy for me to then uh, really evangelize that um, to the schools and the teachers that I was working with. Gotcha. So you were there, you were doing phone sales. Um, What was, what was your role? Did, Did you have any other roles at EF or then Basically, what was your career trajectory like right after EF and phone sales? Where What was your next move? Sure. So uh, while I was at EF, uh, it's a company that really prides themselves on being able to kind of figure things out and uh, do a lot of things by themselves. 
and uh, that sort of spread to the technology as well. So they had a homegrown system for uh, CRM system, their customer relationship management. They had a homegrown bookings engine to actually book these thousands and thousands or even you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of hotel nights yeah. and airport transfers and all of these things. Um, and so that was the system that we were in as a salesperson all day, every day. Mm. Uh, and our strategy would change over time. Uh, but the problem with homegrown software when you're not a software company per se is it's hard for the software to kind of keep up. Yeah. And so I was always the person who uh, would raise my hand and say, hey, I, listen, I know that our strategy is that we're going to be selling to schools from now on and not to individual teachers. But every time I pull up a sales opportunity in our CRM, it's got the individual teacher's name in huge letters, and I can't find the school name anywhere. And if we really want to change strategy, I need to be looking at the school's name gigantic right, right in front sure. of me. The sales op needs to have the organization attached to it, not just the teacher's name, uh, and things like that. And over time, I think they just got tired of hearing from me <laughs> uh, and basically said, you know what? You go and work with the engineers. You go and fix it. And... Um, that turned out to be a great opportunity for me. I later found out that that's called product management. Um, but I did that for two years without really understanding that it was a, a discipline. I just thought it was you know, like a problem that needed to be solved. And um, yeah. I was fortunate to be the one kind of given the task or unfortunate at certain times <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to do it. Um, so that was my second roughly two years in sales uh, and then two years doing product management at EF Education. Um, and at that point, I had always kind of thought I'd go back and get a PhD. I just didn't want to do it right away. Right. Uh, and at that point, I'm firmly entrenched doing something I really like doing. And I realize, hey, I'm kind of become a business person now. Yeah. Moreover, I like what I'm doing. But thirdly, uh, you know, technology touches just about everything. So I'm in all these meetings about strategy, all these meetings about you know our exposure to fuel prices and currency fluctuation, mm. uh, a lot of heavy operations work. And I just felt totally underprepared for a lot of that from my sort of history and Russian literature uh, <laughs> education, which, you know, I know more about the Italian Communist Party in the 1960s than probably anybody alive, uh, <laughs> unless they, you know, were in the party at that time. But uh, I didn't know a whole lot about finance at all. And, and yeah. um, you know, a lot of the things that that had become really important in my world. So at that point, I realized, you know, I'd been at EF for four years, kind of wanted to make a change, and business school just seemed like the right thing to plug some of the gaps. Gotcha. So after EF, you then, you did go to business school after that. Correct, yeah. Why BC? What were some of the other school? You don't have to say by name, but, like, what were some of the other attributes you were looking at for programs, and why did you ultimately choose BC? Sure. Um, so for some personal reasons, I wanted to stay in Boston, uh, and thankfully, you know, obviously a lot of great options in Boston. So yeah. I was looking at the top flight options in Boston, um, you know, BC being among them, but all your usual suspects. Sure. Uh, and really went and spent a lot of time visiting the campuses, uh, sitting in on classes, talking to people. Uh, and BC just consistently kind of came up as the place that every time I would go, there was just extra touches. Mm, gotcha. um, so when I walked in to visit BC, um, I had scheduled a class visit and there was a big sign, you know, in the lobby, like, welcome David and whoever else happened to be there that day. Uh, and everybody I met just really went out of their way to help, uh, make me feel welcome. I, I liked the fact that it was a smaller program. Yeah. Um, 
And it really seemed, you know, business school can be kind of cutthroat, at least by reputation. Um, And I think BC sort of has the reputation of the school where people do great things and are still very successful, but managed to do that without stepping on each other's toes and, you know, undercutting each other. Uh, And that sort of ethos really appealed to me. The smaller class sizes really appealed to me and the strength of the network. Um, So I had a few options and, you know, just every step of the way, BC uh, really came through as the school that, like, really wanted me to be a part of that community. And that made me really want to be a part of that community totally. and, and uh, you know, give everything I had. And so while you were at BC, can you talk about what you were involved with, whether it was an internship, clubs, mm-hmm. extracurriculars, anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think two things really shaped my time. A few things really shaped my time at BC, uh, particularly in the MBA program uh, was the grad tech club, which had kind of been dormant for a few years. Mm. Um, but that being, you know, technology, entrepreneurship really being my uh, big area of interest, I uh, was able to revive that and found a whole bunch of folks that wanted to do that with me. Um, so while it was pre-existing, it didn't have a whole lot of a blueprint to follow because there weren't second years who had already been doing it the past right. year. So we really got to reinvent it in our own image and, um, and make it something cool. And we made it very experiential um, so it was a lot about, we were like, let's just try to start, like build a product. Um, and so we went through all the steps of building a product. We recruited some undergrads to help us develop it. Um, and we never wound up taking it to market or anything like that, but it was yeah. a really great learning experience. Um, and then the other side was, uh, getting involved in the entrepreneurship community on campus, which, um, because the MBA program is so small, there is some entrepreneurship within that program. Um, but one of the best decisions I made was to uh, reach out to the university at large. Um, and the undergrad program in particular has a really strong, uh, community of entrepreneurship. And, uh, so early on, I went to some undergrad events, um, wound up spending a lot of time and getting involved with, uh, professor Gallagher and all the amazing stuff that he does on campus. Um, and through him, through that network, just met an incredible amount of, uh, entrepreneurs with. BC ties, but also that don't have BC ties throughout sure. Boston, the West Coast, um, uh, and uh, really never looked back from there. So uh, startups and entrepreneurship were a big part of my time there as well. Cool. Um, so one question that we do like to ask is, why did you decide to go full-time versus part-time? A lot of people kind of who are making that decision struggle with that. Why give up a job that's paying me money um, versus go full-time? Yeah, I think that's that's a hard decision to make. Um and I think if you're, you know, if you have a job that's paying you and they're willing to pay for your, your school, that's hard to say no to. Um, but I have no idea how the part-timers do it, frankly. Like I look at how much time I put in in full-time. Um, I look at how much time I put into my job here and try to figure out how I would have done those two things at once. Uh, it's pretty crazy, but a lot of people do it. For me, it really came down to uh, talking to people who had done full-time MBAs, people who had done part-time MBAs. Uh, and a friend of mine was at HBS at the time going full-time. And I asked him about his decision, and he said, look, this is really important to me. And I figure if I'm going to put this much of myself into something, I'd like it to be my number one priority. Now it makes a lot of sense. And so 
you went through the program, you found the entrepreneurship community, and then you come out of the program, you graduate. What are you looking to do and what do you end up doing coming out? Sure. So uh, I was looking to get a job in product management, uh, a fit, sort of officially, as I mentioned, I had been doing it for two years beforehand uh, without even really knowing that what's, that's what it was called. Um, so I wanted to go to a, an organization that really had it established as a discipline, really learned uh, to hone my craft. Um, and that had always been my plan. And I was sort of actively going into, you know, second year and especially second semester, second year, actively uh, applying to product management jobs. Um, but I also at that point had finished all of my coursework, basically, and had basically one course that I could either take another marketing analytics course yeah. uh, or go after an independent study. And I thought, let me just go and try to start a business. I've got six months left here. Like, <laughs> let's go see what I've learned and, sure. and what I can do. So I'm interviewing for jobs. Uh, I'm also kind of starting this business as a, as a, an independent study, really thinking about it as an academic pursuit. Sure. Um, but in that time I was speaking at some student event on behalf of the grad tech club. Uh, and another speaker was speaking on behalf of something called the soaring startup circle, which was a, um, startup accelerator for businesses with BC ties, uh, basically BC students starting businesses. And he came up and talked to me afterwards and was like, hey, really liked hearing what you had to say, would love to talk more, and what are you up to? And I told him what I was doing. He's like, oh, I actually run this accelerator. You should apply since you have a business. I wound up applying for that, getting into the accelerator program. So then I pulled out of all of my uh, product management processes and applications and decided to go after the business full time. Um, so I did that, did the accelerator program for the summer, kept the business running, uh, for the better part of, of a year. Um, and then ultimately I kind of got to a crossroads where I had a few customers. They really liked what I was doing. And one of them happened to be an angel investor and he was like, Hey, I want to invest. Um, you know, you'll have to get other investors as well. (laughs) You know, I'm only going to give a little bit, but I can help you get other investors. And I was blown away, (laughs) but I realized at that point I should have been a whole lot more excited and I was just a solo founder. I was incredibly tired all the time. Um, and I realized, started asking myself, what happens if I take this money? Yeah. Um, and it was like, well, I'm going to go and have to raise more money and then I'm probably going to go and have to hire some people to do right. the, do some of the things about the company that I actually like doing the most. And I would have to basically go and fundraise and yeah. sell. Yeah, yeah. And those were the things I hated doing. <laughs> uh, and at that point, I realized like I loved the I loved startups, I loved entrepreneurship, I loved the building and business side. Um, but maybe I wasn't the right person to be raising the money and doing the sales. Maybe I was a better you know number ten or twenty sure. man on the team to do product management, and focus on the things that I really liked, uh, than you know number one employee to uh, to do everything. Incredible learning experience, politely turned down the money, uh, and went and took a product role somewhere else. Uh, but it was, I wouldn't trade it, absolutely amazing experience. And, and I feel like uh, really solidified a lot of what we had learned in theory in school and mm, yeah, uh, yeah. into practice. Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the best networking like tips or tricks that you had while as a student to, to connect with some of these people um, in Boston and develop those professional network to go out there and get jobs yeah um so boston as a tech community in particular um there's just so many meetups and events and and all that that uh, you really just have to show up 
you yeah. know, there's uh, you can find calendars of it all online. There's a bunch of great organizations. I think there's a calendar called uh, Greenhorn Connect that has uh, is an aggregator of a whole bunch of of uh, events. And then you really just have to show up. And there's so many of them that it's not like you're competing with hundreds of people. Usually it's tens of people. Um, and yeah. it's such a small world that you go and talk to the speakers afterwards. They're happy to talk to you. They're <laughs> glad that somebody was listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, if you've been around and in the industry for five years or more, you know almost everybody. Um, and when you're a student, I think, is... Uh, you just have this carte blanche to say, hey, you know, I'm a business student at BC, uh, would love to just pick your brain. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work so well once you're done, yeah. so you got to take exactly. advantage of it <laughs> Definitely. Uh, when you have it. But, you know, I, I think it's showing up is half the battle. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is being humble and, um, you know, being grateful for the time and the advice you get and not expecting you know, nobody owes you anything. Right. So any, even a response in the negative to an email is a gift from that person. Like, uh, and if you go into it with that attitude instead of, you know, like, hey, I'm emailing you and, and therefore I'm kind of hoping you're going to give me a senior level position at your company <laughs> because I deserve it. Like, no, you don't. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so being humble and, and sort of grateful for any time that they'll give you um, and just hungry to learn. Uh, I found to be really helpful. Cool. Awesome. And so you go through your startup, you politely turn down the investment, and then you're looking for jobs. Kind of how do you go back into that process? What are you looking for at that point? Yeah. So uh, this was the first time in my life that I didn't have anything else going on when I was job searching. So turns out job searching is a lot easier when you don't <laughs> have a job or a school projects or anything like that. Um, but I was really cognizant of the fact that uh, I knew I wanted to be in product management, but yeah. also cognizant of the fact that like I, this was my decision to stop the startup. I could continue to do it for a little while, right. make a little bit of money. I was also driving for Uber at the time to help uh, offset you know, the ebb and flow of, of uh, cash coming in. Totally. And so I didn't need a job tomorrow uh, and allowed me to be really picky with what I was looking for in a company and find a company where I really believed in the product, where I felt like um, they were doing product management well, um, and it was something I really wanted to work on. Uh, wound up getting a few offers, uh, choosing to go to Zipcar, um, and Zipcar was in a really interesting place at the time because they had just acquired a startup out of San Francisco, mm -hmm. and they were looking for basically a Boston member of the team uh, okay. to kind of... Uh, help integrate that company into Zipcar and bring some of their tech uh, to to bring bring gotcha. Zipcar forward. And so that was kind of a perfect melding for me of getting to still stay kind of in the startup world, uh, work with a with a high caliber team um, yeah. that really was you know uh, they were uh, had been I think funded by Andreessen Horowitz for a Series A and then wound up getting acquired by Zipcar. So like a lot of things that I was really excited about being involved with, mm -hmm. um, a chance to reinvent a company with a product that I thought was amazing and, and, uh, be a part of that. Um, so that's what I did for almost two years. I was basically totally reimagining the system that they use for operations management. So actually making sure the cars are where they are supposed to be when they're supposed to be there, making sure that they're cleaned up, gassed up, uh, and Small all details. that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. All the things that, that, 
uh, I think are so cool about a tech product that also has a real world component to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I worked on that for two years roughly um, and then helped to launch it sort of in, in beta form uh, in London. And right about that time, uh, I got back in touch with uh, one of the guys who ran the Soaring Startup Circle, um, who also you know, happened to run a company called Jebit. And uh, they were on the cusp of raising Series A and looking to bring in a product person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they got in touch with me and cool. basically tried to get my advice on who they should bring in slash put a soft sell on uh, that person being me. Hey, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't looking to leave Zipcar at the time, um, at least not actively. You know, I was kind of keeping my ears open. I had been there for just about two years, but, you know, kind of happy doing what I was doing. So uh, it was going to have to be a pretty good opportunity. Yeah. Um, but they basically came like, look, we're about to raise Series A. Uh, I already knew I loved the culture of the company. I already knew I loved the people because I had had the opportunity to meet a lot of them and work out of their offices two years before. Um, and it was, here was an opportunity to build a cool company, uh, uh, rather build a cool product, build a team and help build a cool company right here in Boston. Um, so those were all things that really were appealing to me. Oh, perfect. And so you end up at Jebit and then can you tell us about Jebit and kind of what you guys do, what you've started as the mission and kind of where you've developed to now? Yeah, so uh, Jebit's been a journey. Uh, I've been on for now about a year and a half, but uh, but the founders and some of these guys have been on the journey for six years. Yeah. Um, I actually started at Boston College, a couple of undergrads yeah. uh, in the uh, what's now I think called the the Shea Center yeah, yep. for Entrepreneurship, for yeah, entrepreneurship yeah. the pitch contest or something like that. Uh, at the time it was called BCVC for uh, BC Venture Capital. Um, and they basically uh, initially came up with this idea that, you know, you you are watching YouTube or Hulu or something like that, and then you get interrupted by an advertisement. You literally click into another tab for 15 seconds until the advertisement's done, and then you go back and watch what you were watching. Right. It's bad for the brand. It's bad for you, and nobody's getting any value out of that. So their hypothesis was, like advertising marketing should be able to be valuable for the brand and the consumer and should be able to be mutually beneficial. Um, and that has gone through a number of different iterations over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we are today is, uh, we're the world's leading declared data platform. Uh, and what that means is, uh, as we define declared data, it's first party data, it's, uh, user consented data willingly offered, uh, by a consumer, they know they're answering questions. Uh, they know that they're telling the brand something, um, and there's sort of a contract there, which is you know like I'm giving you this information. You, I understand that you know your job now is to take that and right. give me value. Um, and it's also it's very much it's preference data. It helps explain the why. Yeah. Where so much of marketing is behavioral data, and you know what happened, but you never know why. Right. Um, and so uh, what we do at Jebit is we have a technology platform that allows you to create mobile first, uh, mobile web interactive experiences uh, with a personalization element. So think of uh, they can replace just about any kind of web content, um, but a Typical use cases, basically better personalized landing pages. Okay. Um, and they collect data over time uh, that you can then gain insights to. You can use it to effectively remarket to your consumers in an intelligent way. 
So uh, we've got a whole sort of analytics suite on the platform as well. Um, and I like to describe it as basically, you know, I'm a big fan of Dale Carnegie, and he says if you really want to get to know somebody, the best way to do that is to ask questions, have a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to think of Jebit as giving brands the tools that they need to basically be a thoughtful friend yeah. um, as opposed to a creepy soccer, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, so the thoughtful friend who gives you a gift uh, and you're like, oh, wow, it's, you know, like uh, we were getting drinks this one time and I told you this and we we're getting, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we were in class another time and, and you heard me talk about that and you put it all together into this really thoughtful gift as opposed to, you know, somebody who is, you know, sort of stalked you online and figured out from Facebook, this and that. And, and you're like, wow, that's the perfect gift for me. And who are you? (laughs) Um, and so that's, that's, I think becoming more and more important. And that's, that's what we're betting on with, um, the, your, the privacy laws in Europe and now in California, Uh, we're betting on the fact that, you know, people are waking up to the fact that, uh, you know, they should be able to consent to their own data and that if you don't have user consented data, if you don't have first party data, you're going to be in trouble in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then in terms of kind of what you're doing at Jebit, is there something that you're really excited about or kind of the trajectory going forward, kind of where you guys see yourself going? It's obviously been a long journey in six years and then kind of where does it go from here? Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm excited. A typical startup. I'm working on like ten different things. I'm all excited about all of them. <laughs> Could probably only do a few of them effectively, uh, but that's kind of the way it goes at a startup. Uh, but the declared data thing, um, you know, we really we've been evangelizing this for a long time, but you're just starting to see the crest of that wave over the last six months to a year or so right. with um, the Cambridge Analytica scandals, yeah. the European privacy laws. Um, and so really exciting to see that take momentum and to see us be able to really push on the products that we have related to, um, related to that user consented declared data. Um, and then like I touched on earlier, the other thing that's really exciting is, uh, outside of getting to work on a pretty amazing product. Um, you know, we've doubled since I joined a year and a half ago. Uh, we're constantly adding new talented people to our roster and, uh, growing as a company. And so that ability to both help contribute to building a world-class product, but also building a world-class team and a a world-class company uh, is a really great learning experience. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us through your career journey. I'd like to ask one final question and think about yourself back in business school. What's kind of one piece of advice that you would give to first years, second years that are kind of starting their job search um, right now? Like what, what would you wish you knew back in school that you now know? Yeah. Um, it's all going to be okay, I think, uh, <laughs> especially with the job search. Uh, I got my internship, I think, in May, and I started, you know, I didn't land it until May, and, and, uh, but I wound up doing product management, uh, and it was a great internship, um, and then I wound up, you know, I wound up actually not even getting a job out of school because I decided to start my own sure. thing and, and do that. Um, and I think you you get so concerned because other people start to get internships, especially if they're yep. the big programs <laughs> uh, where, you know, it's September and they already know what they're going to do. And they, they're, you know, like you're in the midst of a six month job search and right. they're just enjoying life. Totally. Uh, and uh, I think like it, it is all going to be fine. Um, 
now that I'm on the other side of it and, uh, you know, sometimes hiring and people reaching out to me in February asking, you know, if uh, I have any internship opportunities over the summer. And I'm like, I work at a startup, man. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to know what I need over the summer until, you know, like until May at the earliest right. to do because things change. Totally. Um, and so I think just like recognizing that, taking a breath, um, understanding that, like, even though it's your top priority, uh Hiring managers, businesses, networking contacts all have a million other priorities on their plate. So it doesn't mean they hate you. doesn't mean that they're <laughs> ignoring you. It's, you know, uh, they just, there's a million other things going on. It's all going to be okay. Um, and then the other thing I would, I would tell myself at the time and tell anybody is what we talked about before. Like, nobody owes you anything. Right. Yeah. Any bit of time, even if it's a rejection response, is a gift from that person. And, like, when you start viewing life that way and you just get so grateful for the people who reach out and help you. And I think BC uh, over indexes this on, uh, from an alumni standpoint and from a community standpoint on helping each other out. Um, and when you look at it through that lens, life just gets so much better. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to be, uh, our first alumni guest, hopefully are not our last. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Uh, we learned so much about your career and Jebit, um, and we wish you the best of luck. Fantastic. Thank you guys. And good luck to you. This is awesome.